There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, and I always look forward to your questions or stories, as the case might be, via email tmckernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. And uh, on last week's questions from the audience, um, I think I, I went into it with a few Points I wanted to make sure I discussed regarding uh, the film Marriage Story, um, the Cardinals, and the interviews I've been doing with uh, with people's family members, and some of the background on that. And then I just, as as can often happen, uh, wound up talking forever about those three things, and only had time for one email which came from the great Beer Cats, who I think has been listening to the show, as he said, since the very, very beginning. So uh, at this point, you're going back to 2004, but it was a great email. However, because of that, I didn't get to a number of emails that have kind of backed up because we didn't do one during the week of Christmas, and I wanted to make sure, if at all possible, I could go through all of the emails that I have saved in the QFTA file. You're always welcome to send them in. Gambling, TMA-related, radio-related, podcast-related, politics-related, sports-related, sex-related, religion-related, it doesn't, movie-related, whatever. Fire away. I enjoy uh, the fact that we we get the questions and... Um, and then it leads to a follow-up email or follow-up conversation. So that which you hear today will lead to the birth of another question and discussion later. Just like today's conversation is really the byproduct of something that you can probably trace all the way back to our very first questions from the audience. So with that said, uh, this one uh, is our leadoff hitter today. It's a quick hitter, and that may make sure I'm checking off the boxes and trying to get through all of these, if at all possible. Hi, Tim. Uh, this may or may not be QFTA worthy, but what's the story with the and in the intro to TMA? The voiceover says 590 the fan, and then a voice that sounds like yours says and before the voiceover says InsideSTL.com. Just curious. Thanks. That's from Nick. One of the things that I think I take for granted, and I think uh, me and the cat and Doug may take for granted, is that this radio show, The Ryan Kelly Morning After, um, which has been a part of our lives, in the case of me and the cat now, we're approaching 16 years, uh, and Doug, 13 years, that everybody has been listening for all 16 years and therefore understands that the radio show was essentially an inside joke wrapped inside of 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 an inside joke. And so we giggle at this shit, and then it, it turns out that um, so many of the listeners, especially now, are younger, and therefore things that we talk about, you know, because we all experience them together, if you want to go back to 2007, for example, 
uh, that the audience knows when in reality the audience doesn't know. Um, so it's horrible broadcasting, which ties into this. Um, something happened in t- the beginning of 2018 when I was doing the show from Jupiter, Florida, where there was some kind of delay or something like that. And I just remember Charlie Marlowe did something to voice uh, the intro and it sounded so hackneyed that we left it to kind of send a message to anybody who is dropping by our radio program that this is what you get. It is hackneyed. We welcome it being hackneyed. Uh, We have very little interest in it being a quote-unquote well-produced program. So it's two years old now, that and thing. There's there's nothing. It's kind of like the cat's nickname. There's nothing to it. It's a horrible story. Probably need to come up with a better story, actually. But the truth is, the cat's nickname, uh, my dad, uh, who was a guest on the podcast here a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a gentleman who owned the KFNS building, in Webster Groves, it wasn't the KFNS building, but it's where the station was from 98 through, uh, I believe, 2013. So 15-year run. And um, and his name was John Layton. And my dad um, said, uh, he just would call him Johnny the Cat Layton. I have no, I still, I, I'm sure my dad doesn't have a reason for that. That's something my dad would do. And so... I called the cat Jimmy the Cat Hayes. That's it. That's it. It's a horrible story. It's a dreadful story, but it is the story. So while I would love to have a better story behind the 590 The Fan and inside STL.com, A, it's not my voice, and B, uh, there's no good story behind it outside of it was another technological glitch, and we just thought it sent a better message to the audience, kind of like the Jermaine Stewart, we don't have to take our clothes off theme song that... This is about to be three hours of absolute uh, nitwittery. And so if you want hot takes, you're probably in the wrong wrong spot. Or if somebody does hot take it, and any of the six of us have been prone to hot take it, I think the Plowhawk probably gave out the most hot takes in 2019. But be prepared to be mocked for your hot takes or defend your hot take. Or if your hot take goes wrong, see trading Vladimir Tarasenko and uh, and the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, that it will live forever. So that's the background on the, the intro. It's, it's similar to the intro music to send a message to say, hey, this is a really stupid show. Uh, let's see what we got here. This is a long one. Tim, I can't uh, tell you I'm a longtime listener of the morning show, but I PLTD when I see a TMA segment I find interesting. I've loved your long-form interview podcast since the beginning, but only recently been listening to all of the QFTA episodes. I got hooked when you had all the Irishman episodes. I loved the movie as well. I don't know if you've discussed elsewhere, but I heard an interesting take on Neil Brennan's podcast about the movie regarding Anna Paquin's limited speaking rule. He explained how Frank's daughter suffered abuse slash assault by Russ that led to her behavior toward Russell. Uh, That's uh, Joe Pesci's character. I can certainly see that angle looking back, although having not read the book, I don't know that to be accurate. Perhaps this is a known but not obvious to myself. 
I enjoy your discussion of best movies of the decade and your recent review of Marriage Story. I thought Marriage Story was fantastic, although I'm living that movie in real life, so it hits awfully close to home. I as well married someone above my level, but for me that has backfired like a motherfucker. Uh, One movie I'd like to hear your take on is Eighth Grade. It's a heavy dialogue movie, which seems to be your preference. And as a parent of a daughter close to that age, it rips my heart out. A real-life horror movie about digital culture. There's a scene of a father and daughter discussion around a fire pit that made me turn the movie off and break the fuck down until I could be composed enough to finish the show. Keep up the great work. That's from Dave in Belleville. Okay. Wow. Uh, Here's what happens with the questions from the audience emails. Unless they're like the the original one from, I don't even give the guy's name. I don't know if he wanted me to. Shane. Uh, no, that, that's a different one. What the, boy, I've lost track of them. I just skipped ahead here. Um, I don't know what the hell. I th- Oh, I started at the top. Uh, no, I don't know what the hell happened. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant how I'm ordering the emails. If they're not brief, like the one asking about the intro, um, I just I usually just put them away in my email file knowing that I'll get back to them when the time comes to record the episode. That's That's my thought process. So sometimes when I'm uh, reading these, I am reading them for the first time. So you're hearing them for the first time as well. Um, So this one was pretty deep. And now what I need to do is go and search eighth grade uh, for the purpose of having a backstory on what that movie is. So it's a comedy. I'm just, I, I went straight Wikipedia. Eighth Grade's a 2018 American comedy drama film written and directed by Bo Burnham. Uh, the coming of age story follows the life and struggles of an eighth grader uh, during her last week of classes before graduating to high school. She struggles with social anxiety for a producer's vlogs giving life advice. Um, so I would imagine based on your email, um, Dave, that uh, this probably has some social media bullying involved. That's my guess. Reading your email and reading um, the uh, the plot, which will be which is which is as of, as of right now, with a two year old. By the time he is at a point where he would have a phone and the social media thing going on. I'm not sure this stuff will be going on in its current form. I'm sure it'll still be because, because this shit was going on on message boards. Um, and then if you want to go back before that, like the mean girls, 2004 movie with Lindsay Lohan, um, Rachel McAdams, they had the burn book. So it's existed in some form. Now it's just instantaneous and it really does devastate people. And that's what I, uh, dread for any, child, teen, um, or adult, actually. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's one thing if it's me, it's another thing if it's a family member. So as I made reference to a little earlier, um, you know, I interviewed my dad for the podcast and I was so hesitant to do it because I felt like I knew inevitably somebody would shit on it and even if I got a hundred compliments the one person shitting on it would be the thing that would stick with me now if it's an interview with I guess actually 
anybody else I've ever interviewed on the podcast and they shit on it. I don't want to say I won't, um, I won't care, but I, it really, it'll kind of be in the, in the realm of in one ear out the other. And in the moment, perhaps it'll bother me, but having read, I don't want to say awful, but I mean, I have read awful stuff about myself. Um, but having read negative stuff for more than two decades now, actually, um, you kind of become desensitized to it and you recognize it in the moment. Here, here's the, here's actually how I would explain it because I'm sure many of you fortunately probably have not experienced this, but many of you have experienced it with your kids and I haven't experienced that. Um, and then there are plenty of you who haven't experienced it yourself or experienced it with, with kids yet. For me at this point now, it's one of those things, and I guess I can say that this is the case with um, with any, I try anyway, anything that like can put you on tilt in the moment. And then I try to have the thought process of, okay, in a week, will I even give a shit about this? And God, almost every time it's no. Almost. It's not, it's not across the board because I can think of a couple things here over the last month. Very significant. Tilted me right in the moment. But you have to control yourself and not do something in the moment that you will regret. And so, that, but, but again, I mean, it's t- and, and, I, and, I, and the last thing I want to do is represent that I now have some system to, to combat it. It's just I've dealt with it long enough that you kind of recognize it. I also don't, I, I don't, and so therefore you kind of have a way to like just handle it for, for lack of a better term and also know that there can be repercussions if you allow it to lead to you writing something. So for example, um, God, it's the thing that we've made a, a joke about on TMA, which goes back to Jason Barrett actually, and how he would send Jason Barrett, a program director who's kind of become a running joke on the show, um, how he would send out emails at five in the afternoon, five in the evening, whatever, on Fridays that would be these manifestos that would passive aggressively usually shit on people. And and I honestly don't think he did it intentionally. I really don't. I just think it's a personality thing. And and it and it made him um very unpopular uh, but also just not only unpopular, but, but it's one thing if you're like unpopular, but people respect you. It, he had no popularity and didn't, wasn't respected because he was pissing people off and treating people poorly um, with no real track record, even though he represents that he has one. And that drove people up the wall. And so I saw that and it taught me to not do that. So a lot of the things that have led to you know, I guess the longevity of, of the show or whatever, um, inside STL podcast doesn't come from in, uh, intuition so much as it comes from experience in seeing people do things or hearing people say things and go, Oh fuck that had this effect on people. I got to make sure I don't do that. Um, but that's why, like with Beercat's question last week about, um, for lack of a better term, maturity, when I hear clips of myself in like my mid-20s, I go, oh, fuck. Like, I'm just like, I'm really, I'm truly grossed out. 
And that's because I lack the experience over the last 15 years where I go, oh, yeah, that's why you don't say that or act like that or do that. And I wish I could go back to that guy in 2004 or five and say, hey, you sound like a complete and total asshole. Uh, don't conduct yourself that way. Um, so along those lines, when it comes to social media, if, you know, I mean, is Facebook even going to be around by the time my son is 12 years old? So we're talking 10 years from now. Um, Instagram, you know, take your pick of whatever, Twitter, TikTok, which, whatever it'll be and how people will be, but they'll be getting bullied. No question. It's just a matter of how it will be done. But I gather from parents that the bullying um, is not oftentimes necessarily aggressive. Uh, it's kind of more shade or a girl who, or boy who, you know, there's a click and knows that by posting a picture, posting something about an upcoming event or whatever is going to hurt the feelings of somebody who wasn't invited or wasn't there. And so it's kind of that grotesque behavior uh that's the way that i would and it's it's it, 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 i i i having I, you know it's not something i'm dealing with now of course personally or any family members but i think about that for somebody who's 9 10 11 12 13 14 years old and just that's got to be brutal it's got to be brutal it's got to be really tough for that person in that age range and the parents to handle that i really don't know how you combat it um, and, and I guess having dealt with it sometimes much more extreme than others, um, but nonetheless, having dealt with it, um, I don't know if it prepares me better for it or if I'm more hypersensitive to it. Uh, and by hypersensitive, I mean cognizant, not that it like wrecks my life because, and it, 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 you do realize it doesn't mean anything. My p attempt at a policy on it is rip away. Say I'm the fucking worst. Say I'm the hideous person. Say I'm whatever. Rip away. But the moment somebody passes something off that's false as a fact, well, that's when it, that's when it becomes a different situation. Um, and, and 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 that that's that's the, the way I, I attempt to navigate it. Um, and, and I was going back to on the Barrett email thing. A number of people told me they do the same things. I think I must have talked about it on the radio show or on here. If you're on tilt and somebody sends you an email and it pisses you off or a text, it's if you can do it, write out the text response that you want to say, essentially motherfucking them in response or the email motherfucking them in response and get it out of your system and then delete it. Do not send it. That has I, I'm, I guess I'm at the point where I'm I don't want to say because you're never really out of the woods but more often than not I'm not even close to doing that but I'm certainly you know and, and you go god I'm so glad I didn't send that it's the ones that you send in those moments of rage tilt tilt a poker term that I apply to life you go on tilt you have a bad beat in a poker hand and you're so infuriated it's that kind of thing. And then you do something in the next hand that knocks you out of the game. So the one hand that was a bad beat winds up knocking you out of the game. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. And uh, in these days, one moment can, can last forever and destroy you. So I hear about this movie and maybe I'll watch it because I think, I think, 
being the father of a son, the father of a two-year-old, I'm a little more distant from it than you are, Dave, um, and I'd be able to get through it. Your observation regarding marriage story. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Let's see. I enjoyed your discussion of best movies of the decade in your recent review of Marriage Story. I thought Marriage Story was fantastic, although I'm living that movie in real life, so it hits awfully close to home. I as well married someone above my level, but for me that's backfire like a motherfucker. I don't know what the last sentence meant. I don't know if I don't. I don't know. I guess I'm having a follow up, uh, Dave. I'm doing it via audio, so if you want to follow up, uh, answer here um, with an email. So I don't know what that means. Like you're more susceptible to divorce if there is a disparity in appearance. That's my read on it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know. I uh, I had somebody uh, today, as a matter of fact, email me um, and uh, or text me actually uh, about um, uh, marriage. There's a, there's a text coming right now that has nothing to do with it, um, and how they loved the movie, but how it was difficult to watch. And I said, yeah, I mean, it just. You know, as I'm recording this, Golden Globes were last night. Joaquin Phoenix won um, Best Actor uh, over Adam Driver. I haven't seen Joker, the Joker yet. I will see it. I'll, I may see it here within the next few hours, actually. Um, seen The Two Popes, or Two Popes, whatever it's called, Marriage Story, The Irishman. Haven't seen 1917 yet. One, two, will. I think it's a great year for movies. Uh, saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this past weekend. So I, there are some years where I'm just like, fuck, I have zero interest this year. I'm totally into it. Marriage Story for me, it's amazing. The discussion on Marriage Story really resonated with people. And that's what I say about this podcast. You know, I, it's, it's, it's not, obviously, it's not planned. It's just, these are my honest thoughts and observations from, I guess, the week and or the emails that come in. And uh, I've, I mean, that just, I've never had anything like that. I, the only thing I compare it to is United 93. It's the only thing other than that, which, which is two totally different things. Um, but that's because you know what's coming with this. I didn't know what was coming and it just destroyed me, but I recognized things. And and then when you bring and then it resonated with me as the as, as having one child now um, and how it's just a different world um, that, as opposed to what I experienced, which was getting divorced after a brief marriage with no kids. And even then, you know, recognizing, uh, you know, things that you just, because uh, I honestly, I haven't just, I haven't thought about it. I haven't thought about it. I mean, it's been 11 years, 12 years, 11 years. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm it just isn't something that I think about. I, I, I you know, I can't imagine many people uh, in my position would. A, a four-year marriage with no kids and, you know, it, it was relatively um, you know, divorce wise, simple, but 
with regard to the film, you just it, it it takes me back to some flashback things, and you just go, "Oh my God, I forgot about that and that that move and that move and that move and oh my God and oh my God, what would it be like if there were children involved?" Because I remember people saying that at the time. Well, you were only married four years, and uh, you know, no kids. It's not going to be, you know. Um, I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't, I don't, I still, I, it, just because I don't think about it, I don't, I, I, it is, um, it, it, I don't, I don't feel that way, but comparatively speaking to if we would have had kids, uh, or a kid as is the case with marriage story, as is the case with my life now, um, th- that, that's, that's why that, that was like the perfect storm for me. I cannot imagine Watching that movie, um, if I were in the middle of a divorce with kids involved, I can't. I cannot. I cannot. I don't know. I don't know. Why. I don't know. And maybe, I, I don't know if I'll be emotionless watching it a second time. I don't know if I will watch it a second time. Um, I think I would. Uh, but I appreciated the acting in a major way. That's that's for certain. That's what stood out to me. And also, just the, the way they were able to convey the manipulative tactics of divorce attorneys. Holy shit. And it was, I, I, you know, I made that post on the TMA fan page and, and, and I didn't go into detail on it because I'm not going to go into detail on it. But if, like I say, anytime I talk about it, if you know, you know. And it was interesting to me that a few people who practice family law either posted there or then contacted me and said it was, it was rough even though I'm on the other side of it to watch that because I recognized, you know, the tactics. And it's just... That was one thing. I remember people saying that. So if any of you are going through this um, or considering going through it or recently going through it, the th- I remember people saying this and I just didn't think anything of it because I, I, no, I, I had no idea. Uh, the only people who are going to make money are the attorneys. And and that's, it's you know, it's, <laughs> I, don't know I just see it. And then I, you're going to go, oh, you're like a commodity to them. And oh, I just recognized it right away. I'm just like, oh my god. Eh. Anyway, I with regard to eighth grade, I feel like I got to watch it now. Maybe Anna Marie and I'll watch it, and maybe it will be, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll still be brutal. I I can't imagine when you're watching something, and it impacts you like that. Because I I haven't had I went into Marriage Story not even thinking anything of it, not even thinking a thing of it, and all of a sudden I stop it, and I'm just like, I can't go on. So I can relate to what you experienced watching the movie Eighth Grade, even though I'm completely completely unfamiliar with it perhaps we'll watch it uh and then your thoughts on uh the irishman i had not heard that um at all i haven't read the book i will say that uh on new year's eve we went to palmano's for dinner and uh and i hold uh palmano in very high esteem uh for his uh first off his restaurant and the way the place is operate it's just so damn good he's not an advertiser or anything like that Anna Marie and I were driving home and just like, just like, isn't this place so good? Our parents ate there before we got there so we could do different shifts with our son uh, watching him. And and we both, we all said the same, it's just so good. And I was talking to my mom that night and she's like, oh, it's so good. And it just is, it's so good. But Paul also is an aficionado of not only uh, literature, oftentimes having to do with uh, organized crime, um, but also film. And so I was anxious to get his perspective on the Irishman 
because for whatever reason, I have no idea why it is. It's like this, like people, it's so polarizing for people. And I have no, it's like, I was going to have, I thought I had a good analogy for it. Of course, now if I say it's a good analogy, now it will automatically be a poor analogy. Um, but like, if I love a sandwich from a place and then somebody says, oh, I hate that place. I don't then not enjoy the sandwich. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Like, like growing up where I grew up, uh, within God can't, couldn't have been more than a mile from LeGrand's, which was Bender's on Donovan and South city. And then therefore, I guess a mile or a mile, a half a mile, a half away from, uh, mom's deli. And then relatively close, even though I'm a Mick, relatively close to um, the hill, I had a lot of good sandwiches growing up. And, um, you know, a lot of people like to kill, take your pick, whatever. Nothing gets people going more than like than the, the inevitable. Oh, it's so overrated. And it's just like, yeah, you don't like it. I mean, it's cool. Like, you don't like it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's an odd thing. Like something that is subjective. Like if somebody said, I love In-N-Out Burgers French fries, which to me... I just, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out a place why that has that good of a burger has that bad of fries for my palate. I, I don't go, wow, what the fuck's wrong with you? Why do you like those? Cause I read it's subjective and it's just really, it's, it's very simply compartment compartmentalized, but the Irishman for whatever reason, um, and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a really odd thing. So anyway, if, if, Paul, who I know, I don't want to say studies this, but um, certainly is into it, and maybe he would say he studied. I had no idea what his opinion would be, and I said, what do you think? And he goes, I count The Godfather as one movie, one and two. He goes, so if you if you count The Godfather, one and two as one movie, which I do, this is Paul speaking, and uh Therefore, it's one. I, I put The Irishman in the top three mob movies of all time with uh, with Goodfellas and The Godfather. And I'm like, God bless America. Because if you if he would now if he would have said it, that he didn't like it. And he had this problem, this problem. I would have gone, OK, maybe I just missed it on this thing, even though I've watched it twice and I loved it. Uh, and he goes, yeah. And I read the book and I read the book before I even knew they were doing the movie. Uh, what is it? I paint houses. Um and then I read it again. And he goes, it's just so good. He goes, it's so... And I go, okay, all right, we're on the same page. But if somebody doesn't like it, they don't like it. Uh, so I guess that's the... I guess the Anna Paquin character and the abuse you're making reference to is in um, is in the book. And yes, you're correct. I sensed that. I was wondering about that. But like you said, uh, Dave, it was never um, brought up in the movie. And because that, that's... You can't just... You can't address that. You're already at three hours and 20 minutes. You can't like add that in there and then just like gloss over it. Um, but, uh, I sense that. And then, so therefore she hated her father even more for aligning himself with somebody who abused her, which would help. I did help explain because to me, that was really, there were, there were two storylines running parallel in that movie. Um, Sheeran's relationship with Jimmy Hoffa and Sheeran's relationship with, uh, his, his daughter. So that would have um, that would have added another I mean a major another element to it unless it was referenced and I missed it but I've seen the thing twice now at this point um, very good email uh, sir let's see what I got here uh, 
Okay, I want to make sure I get to a uh, couple of these because I feel like I'm already in a point now where I'm not going to. So, Tim, after hearing about you and Anna Marie's issues with getting pregnant, are you guys thinking about more kids? See, I like this. This is, this is I think this is a question that oftentimes people would never ask, but I want people to know that they can ask questions, personal questions that they may not think they can ask. This is a good question. It's a good question. Um. My wife and I had a kid, a son, less than a year after getting married, but she has always wanted more kids. At first, I wanted more kids, but as the years go on, I find myself not wanting more kids now. Having a 10-year-old kid is tough enough, but lots of fun, and I don't know if I want to throw a newborn in the loop. Am I an ass for that? I'm 37, and she's 35. Uh, Maybe I'll never be a good advice person on these things because my answer is almost always going to be, well, some people like some things and some people like other things. Here's my, maybe that's the disclaimer. It's a case of to each their own. Um, I've been asked a few times about uh, what people perceive, I guess, is waiting until I was 40 when Jameson was born. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't a choice for us. You know, we tried um, when I guess I would have been, I don't even know what the hell, it would have been like 33 um, but, but again, to me, that's, to me, that's like kind of on the young spectrum of having kids, but I recognize that for this region, that's on the kind of older side. If, if the median would be 28 or 29 for the St. Louis region, and when I say region, I'm talking about the city and the county. I'm talking about Illinois. I'm talking about, you know, the region as a whole, like within 50 miles of the arch a radius of that, um, 25 miles whatever that people have kids younger that that was not that wasn't even remotely on my mind it wasn't even on my mind um it just wasn't where I was and um and I don't know I don't it's it's you can't I can't I can't fairly judge if it was better or worse for me because I don't I don't know what it was like to have kids like many of you probably did in your early 20s or mid 20s um so I can't I can't speak to that and what that experience was like for those if you did in your early 20s that means you're quote unquote done when you get to 43 where I am uh, and I'm just starting out I don't know man my 30s were I mean a lot of fortunately the show was around for every single one of my years in my 30s obviously for those of you who follow closely you know there's a lot of turmoil oftentimes with it which we tend to try to keep behind the scenes and just deal with it and then do the show uh, as if nothing's going on but um, it allowed me to really enjoy myself um, and travel and fuck off and play poker and golf and get drunk and kind of gamble and I'm not talking like gamble gamble I'm talking take chances career-wise and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I I, w- I don't think I, I, I could have of course done it I don't think I would have been as apt to do it um, if I had you know two or three kids and I was 30 so that's one of the things when I talk when I encourage people to be entrepreneurs it's you know there, there are other factors that, that come into play man it's a different situation for everybody, and that's the thing. I think you have to have some, not necessarily empathy per se, although maybe that's always a good thing to have, but an understanding of this is my situation, and if you are a dual-income, no-kid family, and you're, you as the husband are in your late 30s and your wife's in her early 30s, 
um, and now you're asking me a question, and here's your educational backgrounds, and here's what the income is, what's your question? Then I can maybe relate better. Uh, Also, where you live. You know, if you live in St. Louis, it's one thing. The dollar means more here than it does in California or New York. What are your aspirations? It's a case-by-case thing. So so I apply it professionally, now I'll apply it personally. I don't know. Uh, To answer your question on us, my answer is yes. We would love to have, I think, one more child. Um, I think I can say, I don't know why I said I think. I'm virtually certain that's where we are. I guess I say I think because I recognize there's a chance we could have twins and then that... And that would change things. But um, I would, uh, therefore, it would obviously be three. We would have three at that point. I don't know how likely it is. We were told we couldn't have kids um, or not necessarily couldn't, but it was highly unlikely we would. Um, And so to have one, I already feel like, I don't want to say I won because I don't feel like, because then that means for those of you who are trying and you haven't, then that would mean you've lost. And that's not the message I want to convey. But I, I, I didn't think we were going to be able to have one. And that came from a doctor, not from like me um, or my wife. And it came from a couple doctors. So it, to have one, I just feel I'm grateful. I would love for our son to have a sibling. Brother, sister, doesn't matter. I ask him all that all the time. I said, would you like to have a little brother or a little sister? And he says, brother. Um, but I mean, he, you know, he's two. I mean, he's just screwing off and humoring me. But, you know, Anna Marie was an only child. I'm the oldest of four. We both have had totally different life experiences when it comes to our upbringing um, as far as siblings go. So I don't, and certainly now, I mean, the fact that I come from a, a, a family of four, that's an outlier um, in 2019. But if you were an only child in when I was coming up in the 1980s and 90s, that would have been an outlier. So people are obviously having fewer ch- children in the United States than they were 50 years ago. Um, so I don't, I mean, it's, it's a case of tweaks. I mean, it really is. I, can, I, it, it, I guess I could sit here. It's like doing a sports take. I can, I can convey the emotion and probably put together words and tone that will articulate like I feel absolutely passionate and I know what is right for you and your wife, but I'd be fucking lying to you. And I would feel horribly if I were to do that. But I think that's kind of the game right now with media. <laughs> so you got you got to have a take and you got to stand by and you got to die on the hill no matter how trivial the take is. But I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. For me and Anna Marie, but I'll tell you this. Maybe this will help. Maybe this will give you an answer even though I'm not answering your question. I do think about it. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor. But then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. I do think about it. It's like, okay, as I said, I said, our son, you might even be able to hear him. I'm in our basement, and I can hear him upstairs. He's fucking crazy. I love it. I love it. I love the wide delta that is uh, that he that his behavior is. But I mean, he's fucking crazy. He's batshit. But I can't get enough of him. You know, I absolutely cannot get enough of him. Um, 
if you add another one of those personalities into the house, even though it will theoretically be two on two, it won't really be two on two. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what he's doing right. It sounds like he's possessed up there right now. He's dying to come down here and see me, which I'm honored by. And I love, and I can't wait to see him because I've only spent like one minute with him so far today. Um, here's Anna Marie yelling at him to calm down. But uh, that, that's that, that's something that goes through my mind. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I think the thing for me, and I think for my wife, who again is an only child, so she's coming at it with with a, with a different perspective, is I would love for him to have a sibling, but at the same time, I, I don't, it's just, it's not as, I don't even know if importance the right word. It's just it's so common for people to be only children now that I don't know how important that is. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And then some people, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I would like it. I, if Anna Marie, and she actually thought she was, uh, a few days ago we had this conversation, she thought she was pregnant. Um, that told me she's pregnant I'd be so fucking happy I'd be so fucking happy at the same time if it were to never happen again I feel like I would be fine and I can say that now the only thing that I guess I would hesitate on is like if if we did have another child and then this child hears this they'll go well, what you were fine without me you don't know like I used to say yeah if we don't have kids because I kind of thought we might have an issue with that um for for um medical purposes going in I kind of had a sense that that might be the case uh that I never wanted to put pressure on my wife to, 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 to like if we don't have a kid that I will feel like that she has let me down ever but I also truly felt like um I'd, I'd be fine one way or the other and then now as I'm sure many of you can relate to once you have kids you can't imagine your life without them um, I guess sometimes maybe sometimes you fantasize about having like a few hours without them, but like you can't imagine your I can't imagine like I feel like I've I've lived the human experience now by having a child that I didn't have any clue existed before August 23rd, um, you know, 2017. So uh, it's just it's so I, I don't know. It's, and it's one of those things. Also, people have said this and I bet people email me when I say this that when you have one you can't imagine loving the next one as much as the one you have but then inevitably you do I mean I, I, I'm not there I haven't been there I don't know if I'll ever be there but then you do it's kind of and, and, and I only know that just because I remember people saying well when you have a kid you just you, you'll, you'll understand like the love you feel and I'm kind of like yeah you know I've, I love my wife I love my family um, I'm you know, I felt love. And then it's like, oh, now I get it. As, as Anna Marie said, you never knew you could love this much. And I'm sure people know what I'm talking about who have kids. Um, so it's like I know that that would happen again with this thing that I can't possibly fathom right now. And I would love for it to happen. At the same time, I just don't know if it'll happen. You know, we're in a different spot than, you know, somebody who's 25 and been told, yeah, you can have as many kids as you want. It's just not, it's just not the way that it is. So I don't, you know, I don't know, but it's to each their own. But to answer your question, yes, we would love to have uh, one more ch child. All right. And then Timmy recaps, who's like the, the star of questions from the audience. 
And I remember seeing this last week and going, I have no way in hell I'm going to be able to answer this uh, for this episode because I had already gone so long. So here we go. I don't remember what it was about, though. No surprise. Long-winded topic here. There's a bit of cancel culture philosophy and politics all wrapped into a not-so-neatly-packaged email. If I had to bet, I'd say Donald Trump will be in office for another four years. This is recaps writing this, although I will go ahead and give my brief aside. I would absolutely uh, bet on that all day long as well at this moment. And people whose opinion as I respect in politics who aren't necessarily a fan of the gentleman believe that to be the case as well. Uh, there are a number of variables as to why he was voted in in 2016, and much of those could have been addressed and reconciled in culture media and online over the last four years. However, it looks as though another four years is on deck, if for nothing other than the continual mistargeting of half the country via identity politics. Influential journalists, commentators, and blue check accounts focused in on the narrow scope of calling people bad instead of addressing why their ideas might buy bad, maybe that was supposed to say might be bad, or perhaps good. I spent a good amount of time trying to understand political candidates' positions, policies, and strategies, but I found but I found at nearly every debate, a majority of one's time was spent attempting to kneecap a subset of groups and getting an eight-second bite of zinging Trump. It's a failing strategy, which is a different topic altogether, that being the derelict televised debate structure, but that's another conversation. I agree with that paragraph as well. I, that, that's, it's an absolute disaster that you got to get a zinger off. And then if you got the good zinger, this is me talking now, that if you got the good zinger off, then you won the debate. I mean, and then that, that like, then your poll numbers go up. I mean, God almighty. I mean, the, most of these people have been in public service with the except, exception, I believe, of Buttigieg, you know, for decades. But if they got the zinger off, they're all of a sudden more qualified. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? I digress. I'll go back to reading. Oh, and he says I digress. Digressing, identity politics and lazy shaming has been the unfalsifiable strategy for those whose underlying intention is to vaguely guilt others into admitting they must be racist, xenophobic, misogynist, classist, to feminist, to privileged, or ism or ist, thereby hoping to get said person to vote for someone, anyone, besides Trump. Without a doubt, there are terrible and shitty people among whom fit into the bad person bucket appropriately labeled, but by and far, most of the accusations we say play out online and in the media have been lazy and without merit. I agree with that as well. By now, reason people should realize the lazy and unethical slanging of unfounded and emotionally charged labels at another person as a form of political shaming isn't going to render their desired result, assuming the desired result is anybody but Trump. So, why dig in and continue the path toward defeat by sticking with an all-but-certain failure-ridden game plan instead of attempting to adopt a new strategy. Wow, for such a thorough email, I have an immediate answer, which usually isn't the case. Usually I sit here and I go, well, I don't know, I see this, I say, here's the answer. Because those executing said strategy, A, don't realize they're executing a strategy, but B, more importantly, do not realize it's going to lose. That's why they think it's winning. I, I, in 2012, on the morning of the election, I remember producer Joe, who is really conservative, which is really surprising to me, but whatever, it's neither here nor there, but it just always kind of surprised me. And, and, and now I haven't worked with a guy in six, seven years, um, text with him often, and he does the podcast, but uh, I don't see him every day. 
I know he's he's conservative, but he's not. He's you know thinks the Donald Trump thing is you know what a lot of people I think think. You know, take your pick of whatever negative adjective. Or there are people who go, yeah, it's it's an obvious you know you know whatever negative adjective. But I enjoy looking at my portfolio going up, and so whatever I'll put up with, you know, whatever this is. So um, you have that category, and then you have people in, in the category of, oh my God, he's the fucking worst, and he's going to lose. But they're in their bubble, and I bring up the bubble because in 2012, I remember the morning of the election being in the studio, and I would imagine it was me, the cat, Doug, and producer Joe, and might have been the non-gay as well. He may have been there. Um, and I remember them talking and Joe and somebody else, but Joe, I just remember Joe and that stood out to me going, yeah, I mean, Romney's going to win. It's kind of like not even, I'm going, what the fuck numbers has this guy been looking at? But I'm kind of like, oh, maybe he knows something I don't know, but I'm like the numbers I've been looking at. It's like, it's probably not going to be that close. Now it should be pointed out that four years later, all of us, whether one voted for Donald Trump or voted for Hillary Clinton, or more likely the case, voted against Donald Trump, or voted against Hillary Clinton. However, votes were cast in November of 2016, but I think there was a lot of againsts, more than fours, uh, in November of 16 with regard to the presidential election. Everyone thought that Donald Trump was going to um, lose, including Donald Trump. Um, now that might not be the story that's told now, but that's the story. There's a hell of a book on, on the, uh, the night of the, the, the party celebrating his election that was thrown in a very, uh, small time, uh, hotel ballroom because it wasn't anticipated to be a victory celebration. And then we saw what wound up happening. But I mean, so so then so that's why I sit here and I look at numbers now and I even sometimes still now get caught up in when and see, you know, whether it be an approval rating or, uh, Joe Biden beats Trump here or whoever it is that beats Trump and what, you know, it's like, okay, what are they doing in Wisconsin? What are they doing in Michigan? What are they doing in Ohio? What are they doing in Pennsylvania? What are they doing in Florida? Okay. The rest of it just doesn't fucking matter. It just doesn't fucking matter unless all of a sudden something substantial changes and either Trump experiences, um, something that would lead to things changing dramatically or a democratic candidate, would either emerge or one of the current ones would um, experience some kind of swell uh, in popularity. You know, those those are the states that matter. And the rest of it does. I mean, I, I can vote all day long in Missouri. I already know what's going on in November. At least I feel that way as I speak in January. Uh, I'd be shocked if that changed, but who knows? Um, and even if Trump weren't in office, I think Pence would carry the state. So, you know, with that said... Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because the people who are doing it are in their respective bubbles. This isn't just a left bubble. And I catch myself now. So, for example, as I'm sitting here uh, talking, it is 544, and I am DVRing, and some people say, oh, liberal, but I DVR the NBC Nightly News, which I know a lot of it. Doug would probably immediately say, oh, it's liberal. Um and, and, and perhaps it is. I don't know. I, I guess I would tell you that I'm not. I, I, here's what I would tell you. Here's what I would say is different about it than than watching a CNN or a, a Fox News. And I really don't watch MSNBC. Um, what they do there is they subliminally package the news for the bubble they know is watching. But it's not 
I mean, I guess you'll have your exceptions like Don Lemon and Sean Hannity. Um, but, but, you know, like a, a Wolf Blitzer or an Anderson Cooper or um, Brett Bear. It, it's not like, it, it's not, you know, it's just, it's different. It's different than, and I, it, it's like if you were sitting with me, I could point it to you and I could probably point it to you every like 20 seconds too. The headlines, the, the graphics, the way things are presented, it's just, it's so, it's so obvious. It's, it's like why I get worked about marriage towards it's obvious manipulation. When I watch the nightly news, and I just happen to use NBC just because I'm just used to just hitting, I just DVR'd. And then as I oftentimes say, I watch Meet the Press and I watch uh, Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace on Sundays. Um, they take on the nightly news... I feel like, even though I'll catch some things, like I can tell Hallie Jackson, the White House correspondent, is not a fan of President Trump's, and so I'll catch some things um, that to me, I just feel like even 20 years ago would would not have been included, that now are like acceptable, that they're almost like kind of digs, but like a Lester Holt, they're just reporting. That's what I'm looking for. But in the bubbles, you get information that confirms confirmation bias that which you thought going into the story so so therefore i remember talking to a friend of mine on um god who was it holly mccaskill and i'm like he's gonna win he's gonna win and i thought this like months before the election like he's gonna win he's gonna win so comfortably i I think i did bet it that night i think i did bet it it was like, he's, he's going to win so comfortably. Like, how do you, but this person who, by the way, incredibly intelligent, incredibly intelligent. I mean, for real, incredibly intelligent and another level intelligent um, is in the Democratic bubble. And um, and so it's, it's, I was like, wow, even somebody that intelligent, it doesn't matter. If you're in the bubble, you're susceptible to bullshit. And so that's why I, I try to, even though I'm sure I'm guilty of other things that somebody on the outside looking in would watch my consumption and go, oh, well, you're doing this and you're doing that. Uh, and so this is why you're coming up with this opinion. But I, I try to. So if I see a headline on CNN, I'll go, OK, let me see what they got going on on Fox News. And if I see a tweet and I don't follow the news organizations, but somebody that I do follow, quote, retweets it and so that I can go see it, then I want to go see how it's how it's framed. And so with regard to that, people in the bubble are executing a strategy that, you know, is the kind of like this condescending snark to the people on the other side, or they're attacking them for being shitty people, uh, and they don't recognize that it doesn't work. We, we talked about it a little bit on the radio show this morning. I'm recording this the day after the Golden Globes, as I said. And Ricky Gervais, and I'd, I'd love to know, and I'm sure somebody will email me on this one. Um, Ricky Gervais's monologue, which I found to be 90% incredibly amusing. Some of it I just didn't think was, wasn't that funny, but obviously 90% of it I did. But it's like, it, for whatever reason, everybody who either is a conservative or acts like they're moderate but really is a conservative and anybody on the outside looking in can tell they're conservative – we're 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 celebrating these things that monologue like it was this great victory and i thought why and i i don't know obviously there had to be something there and i guess i was trying to like psychoanalyze it and i and i wanted to talk about on the radio show but i know it would have led to a dumpster fire of a segment so i didn't um but why why did that monologue by a guy who is absolutely 
anti-Donald Trump. Why, and but I'm sure most of the people who are passing that around, celebrating it, have no idea that he's anti-Donald Trump and thinks, you know, this is, you know, a clown show to the nth power. Uh, why was that monologue celebrated like it was? Like, what's the psychology behind it? And I found it amusing, but I didn't go, this is a nice victory over the left or, or anything along that. I'm just, I was curious why. And I think it wasn't necessarily like the the jokes about DiCaprio banging, uh, you know, women in their early 20s um, or Martin Scorsese not being tall enough to ride rides uh, or Felicity Huffman making license plates. I think it was the specific part about when you, and I'm paraphrasing, when you win your award, just come up here and accept your fucking award and go on about your day because most of you have spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg uh, and and you therefore are in no position to pontificate on how people should live their lives, which I think was the thing that people loved. I think. I also think there's an element that I think is, which I think, for the record, by the way, I think makes all the sense in the world, and I'll elaborate on that in a moment. But then I also, and I think it's healthy, by the way, uh, to to call attention to that, and I'll elaborate on that moment. And then I also think there's a part that's just mean and envious, which is kind of the source of like social media in 2019 anyway, which is, oh, here are some people that we perceive to have a better life, and we like to see them get shit on, and so we're going to we're going to celebrate these people who are good looking, have tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and a life that we believe is way better than ours and good, we get to see them get shit on, which I don't think is healthy. Uh, but I do think that was a part of it. But I think the bigger thing was uh, that which I listed first, which was, hey, what the fuck makes you think anyone gives a damn about your opinion on climate change, on politics, on the state of um, the situation in Iran? Because you 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 had a nice role in a film in 2019, which I think is an absolutely fair question. So I asked the question this morning on the radio show without going too deep into it, because like I said, had I gone too deep into it, I think I would have gone into dumpster fire category. When did this shit start? Because Doug, the cat and I have all won Emmys, even though we all joke about it. And it is. It's kind of a joke because we know how people win their Emmys. It's like Barrett and his sports radio rankings. We know we know the process, so we know not to take it seriously, uh, even though the public thinks it's great. So I guess you, you enjoy the fact that the public thinks it's great, but deep down, you know, it isn't worth a damn thing. And it, I, I remember winning them and it led to absolutely nothing as far as money goes. So uh, it's nothing. That's why Doug laughs about it, even though Doug has like 30 of them. Um but if any of us, when we won an Emmy, were to get up on the stage and start talking to the audience <laughs> about about Donald Trump or about Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren or, you know, Joe Biden or climate change, everybody look at us like, what the fuck are you doing? So I asked them how to, I, I thought it might have been Jane Fonda in Vietnam. I was like, when did this start up? And, and Doug and the cat both said Marlon Brando did something, I think it might have been, and I apologize for not knowing, some of you might know this off the top of your head and be like, dude, how do you not know? But it was before my time, um, with a Native American tribe, 
and they believe that's what started where this thing, like, like last night, Patricia Arquette wins and she comes up and she starts pontificating on policy. And you're just like, okay. Now the other side of it is if one, you know, like, you have this audience, like this is certainly different than winning the a regional Emmy in television for local news. Nobody's watching. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody, including the people inside there, inside the theater. But with this, the world is watching. And so you have this forum. And if you feel passionately about it, this is your opportunity to convey that message. I guess, I think... Most people have the self-awareness to know that while they may feel passionately about it, the rest of the world just doesn't necessarily share that opinion. And therefore, and also they don't have credibility. Like if like if Barack Obama or I'm, I get, I'm trying to think of somebody from a conservative standpoint to try to balance it out for the purpose of, and, and so, I don't know, I'm thinking if Barack Obama, because I'm thinking of when Al Gore won for an inconvenient truth. Um and then went up there and spoke about climate change. If Barack Obama were to stand up there and talk about, take your pick of whatever issue, you know, the 2008 and the financial crisis and a documentary that he was a part of on that. Um, I, I would say George W. Bush with Iraq, but I think that's a different situation. Um, Ronald Reagan and the Berlin Wall, you know, if he were around and uh, that one in documentary and he was involved in that. That's a different operation. These guys were in the trenches on it and can speak to it from that perspective. But somebody who, like, had a role in the Joker, as is the case with Joaquin Phoenix, and then you start talking about it's just kind of, it just, I think it irritates people. It doesn't irritate me like I know it irritates a large portion of, you know, the quote unquote flyover states. Or they're going, why, why, why are you qualified to talk to me about how I should live my life? And by the way, I wonder, I, I wonder about this. Would Ricky Gervais's monologue have been as celebrated if he would have mocked religion, Christianity in particular? If there would have just been one joke, would it have been passed around by conservatives who were passing it around social media? And again... I liked it, and I thought. But I mean, I I loved Ricky. One of my 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 favorite podcast of all of 2019 was Ricky Gervais with Sam Harris in July of 2019. It's a brilliant podcast, calling attention to the hypocrisy of the left and cancel culture, and and and, and what I truly do believe played a role in Donald Trump's election in 2016. I mean, you're going to tell me that it was only racists who voted. For, I know and most people don't say that. But if you did vote for Donald Trump, you're a racist. And I keep going back to this so often when, when you hear that. Well, you're at least ignoring racist behavior. And I'm going, OK, well, a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 voted for Barack Obama in 2008. How do you fucking reason that one out? I know a lot of people who I consider to be good and intelligent people who voted for Donald Trump. I was not one of them. I will not be one of them in 2020. I can assure you of that. I just, I can promise you that. It's just not where I am. And I've enjoyed, like I would imagine many of you have, seeing the value of my portfolio increase. But I don't go, the president did that. And it isn't like that, that, that doesn't then justify everything else that I personally don't find appealing about the gentleman and about the climate that I believe he is playing a role in creating. However, I recognize that plenty of people do 
appreciate what he's doing and 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 maybe even enjoy the way he carries himself as i think more it is for my peers they go yes i don't know what the hell's going on but i like his policies or i feel passionately about his supreme court appointments and therefore you know i have no idea what this is about but the the the, the ends justifies the means for me and it's, and it's i don't i don't sit down and judge i don't judge because then I'd be judging people who are very close to me <laughs> and condemning them when I know they're not bigots. And I think the left does itself a real disservice when it casts people with one paintbrush as being bigoted. And that's why they're voting for them. It's just, it's a really, really, uh, is, is your email to me recaps, say it's a, it's a, it's a losing strategy. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy. I've got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something, or I had forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. And I was watching the Meet the Press from not this past Sunday, but I guess would be eight days ago. And Chuck Todd's premise was... Um, the weaponization of fake news, I think, was the title of this episode. It was supposed to be a special episode. I don't know if it had the impact he hoped it did or would. But they were interviewing, I think I think it was the editors of the New York Times and the Washington Post, and immediately a lot of you go, fucking liberals. Um, but I thought one of the things, and I think it was the gentleman who, who uh, is the editor of the Washington Post said, he goes, we have to do a better job of understanding the mindset of people who find some of the president's conduct to, to, to either be bizarre, confusing, or reprehensible, but still support him and understand that, as opposed to cast aspersions on. I couldn't agree. I said that the morning 
after the election in November of 16. He said two things I'm very proud of. I said, that and also this Eric Greitens thing is going to be <laughs> it's going to be a huge story. And I'm, I chalk both those up as uh, obvious wins. Um, but I said it in the moment. It's easy to go back and say, yeah, I thought this, but you're not on the record saying I said that in the morning after November 16th. Um, and so I look at it that way. And I, I just I, I think it's a losing strategy that you go around judging pe- people do not like to be judged. People don't like to be judged. And it doesn't matter what side you're on. My uh, perhaps a weakness is I don't like when religious people and my experience has been more with uh, conservative Christians living in the United States and in Missouri and my brief time in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, judging me as if I'm like, I'm going to hell or I'm a sinner, whatever it is, and just go, okay, who the fuck appointed you? On the other side of it, I'm sure there are a number of people, some of whom would fall into the category of conservative Christians, who are looking at people on the left who call them racist or call them stupid and go, who the fuck are you? You see how it works? It it, it goes both ways. It truly does because it's the same psychology and it's a losing strategy either way. And that's what divides us. And so when I watch a CNN or a Fox News, they don't play on numbers and platforms. They play to wedge issues and the things that have an emotional response, not an analytic one, because that's what gets people fired up. And then you don't necessarily think clearly. Because you're thinking emotionally. So I see it and it drives me up the wall. Um, and so it's, it's funny. Here's, a, here's an observation. Then I'll wrap it up. So I think, I think, I think, I think on TMA, on the radio show, that uh, and I, th- I think I have an idea of what everybody's age is on the show. I really don't know. I, I think I can get it within two years on everybody's age across the board on the show. That even though I'm 43, I'm considered one of the young people on the show. And I guess mathematically, I guess I am. Of the six people, I'm on the younger side of it. Um, But I guess my mindset and what is perceived to be my life, which is is a misperception, but it doesn't fucking matter. I can't do anything about it, is, uh, is, is, um, is on the younger side. But it's interesting to me that over the last... I don't know. I don't know if I would say year or six months, seven months, because of the, the Ricky Gervais, Sam, um, God, I can't, I, I, I fuck up his name. Is it Sam Miller? A podcast that I love uh, from July. You know, it's seven, it's going back seven months. Um, I've been making these observations. And some of these observations of calling attention to now it's become invoked. It's a word that most people are a phrase most people weren't even using this time last year. Cancel culture. And there'll be a phrase we're using a year from now that we're not even using right now. Better than I got on that. That'll become a, a mainstream uh, phrase in the, in the American lexicon. I bet everything I got on it because I see how this stuff is playing out now and it plays out so quickly and it, hell, it could be within the next three months. Um, that... If you call attention to that which you think, because I'm seeing this in the text inbox occasionally, like it's in vogue, and the cat kind of plays to it, um, of worthy olds, as in Doug the cat and Iggy, Doug and the cat in particular, worthy olds. 
and so people, oh, it's two old guys who don't understand this technology, that, you know, when they, they were bitching about things, or Doug's conservative view is, is dismissed as it's an old guy thing. But I've noticed that when I call attention to um, take your pick of whatever would be considered an anti-left, even though I am not anti-left, I'm just, this is what I think. And if it falls conservative, it falls conservative, it falls liberal, it falls liberal. I don't, I, I just don't, I, I, I don't want to say, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't care. <laughs> I care, but I don't care what the reaction to is it, I guess I should say. Um, is that I'm noticing it's like, oh, you guys are just in old guy mode today. And I'm like, ah, this is the new thing I'm noticing. I guess it's the okay boomer thing. When, how many people are actually like, Doug's not a boomer. You know, I guess my dad is, I guess. I mean, if we're defining baby boomers by what would be the proper range of dates, um, th- like, and it's a way to just like dismiss, oh, you're old, so therefore it doesn't count. And I've been the beneficiary of, oh, he's, you know, what, whatever. He's an entrepreneur and he's progressive and he has these ideas, and which is wonderful. And I always appreciate compliments. Don't get me wrong. But now if my ideas don't match up with that which is considered progressive, now it's, oh, well, you're, you're just, you're a little out of touch. And I'm like, man, that's, ah, I don't like to see that because, again, it's dismissing. Just like I would say, don't dismiss somebody because they're young. I feel like that's been an issue in St. Louis. We dismiss people in their 20s. Oh, you're young. You don't get it. It's like, man, people in their 20s are oftentimes the ones who are building the communities in some of the regions that we currently envy around here. And so I don't, I, I see that. And it's just an observation. It's, it's do with it what you want. But I'm noticing that, that the, the way that we can shit on this particular opinion is that person's old. And, and I've reckoned that, like I said, the okay boomer thing, you know, um, you know, it's like, but don't get me wrong. I recognize where okay boomer came from. It was a lot of quote unquote boomers or just people in their fifties who by definition would not be boomers, but whatever, I guess that's where we're kind of going here. 50s, 60s, 70s shitting on millennials. I do think in some capacity, it was a response to that lazy millennials. Everybody gets a trophy, that kind of narrative, which was a, a Fox news you know, conservative media propaganda piece that, you know, gets people fired up. Coming up, you won't believe what these 18-year-olds say about their league. You know, something like that. And it's like it has nothing to do with anything, but it gets older people fired up. And on the other side of it, um, when they show, like, what I, I know, it's like it's like so in vogue to say old white guys and just shit on them. Just, I'm just like, what the fuck? When did that? It's not, I mean, if, okay, if that's cool, then can we do that across the board? Take your pick of whatever race and whatever age and whatever gender. Can we do that? If we can, then I'm all for it. But I'm, I shouldn't say I'm all for it. Then I'm not going to call attention to it. But I think, because I think in general, if you're going to dismiss somebody before you even have a chance to get any form of understanding of where they're coming from based on race, age, religion, sexual orientation take your pick whatever i think that's a flaw i think that's a flaw now you start to pick up reads on people you hear what they have to say you read what they have to write um you know that's a different that's a different ball game but just oh well this person's you know a 65 year old uh, evangelical so therefore you know where they're coming well not necessarily i mean john danforth 
is uh, in his late 80s, and he's an Episcopalian priest. And if you listen to his interview, I would say that didn't really match up with what you would think of from a 88-year-old uh, man of the cloth, um, if I have my ages right. And by the way, I don't know that I do, but around 80, um, late 80s, I think, point being, you know, I, that, that's something that I just don't think is healthy. But I notice that it's going on. And it gets back to your email, uh, Timmy Recaps. The strategy, I'm just, I'm telling you, I remember there's a, there's a, I don't know if it's a movie, somehow there is video, and I think her co-host was Mark Marin. I think, of Janine Garofalo reacting to the outcome of the 2004 presidential election. They were part of that Air America radio, which never really took, and, um, and she was just absolutely stunned, and what I'm telling you is, just then I made the analogy to producer Joe in 2012 that there are hundreds of thousands of Americans who are just under the impression that Donald Trump is not getting reelected in November. And I, I guess it's possible. I certainly won't be contributing to his vote total. I know that. But I think he's going to win. <laughs> I think he's going to win. Again, who knows what that? You could tell me to play this in, in November and go, hey, remember when you said you thought he was going to win? Well, I, I would imagine in order for that to change, something substantial is going to have to change between now and November 2020, which, by the way, is absolutely possible. It's a hell of a lot more possible with this situation than, um, than previous administrations campaigning for re-election. I will tell you that, in my opinion. But um, if, if the election were held today, he would win, and I think he would win comfortably. So... I would also tell you that if the election were held today and he would win comfortably, there would be people who would go, what in the world? Like, they'd just be stunned because in their bubbles, they have no idea what the pulse of, I don't even know if I would say the country, but the states that matter as far as what could swing the election and that, that and what matters. Oh, well, he has a shitty approval rating. Okay, but it doesn't, he's going to win those states and you can already color in the rest of the map. So here's where we are at the electoral vote. Here's where we are at the electoral college. And, and so I keep bringing that up because if you're in that bubble, you think these strategies are working. And is, did, did anybody watch Patricia Arquette's speech last night and go, you know what? I was a big Donald Trump supporter. But now that Patricia Arquette has accepted her Best Supporting Actress nomination or award, she's changed my mind. That's not the way that it works. And if anything, it might alienate people. Which is why Ricky Gervais's speech, I believe, resonated with so many people who would consider themselves conservative. Hey, motherfuckers, you're great actors. You're great actresses. You happen to have won the genetic lottery with your appearances and your talents. However, that doesn't mean you're an expert on foreign policy or you're an expert on science and climate change. So if you could accept your award, thank the people who played a role in it and go on about your day. And that resonates with people. That resonates with people. That's what people, I think, like most about Ricky Gervais's thing. Then you just had some people are like, yeah, fuck, it, fuck him or fuck her. I'm glad that he shit on her or shit on him. But I think the thing that resonated the most is most of you don't have much of an education relative to uh, a lot of people because you already were on your way in Hollywood or in acting. And therefore, you have zero qualifications to espouse whatever political viewpoint you want to get up here and espouse when you win an award. And I think a lot of people went, fuck, 
I hadn't heard of this Ricky Gervais guy before, but God, I love him now. And then if they were to listen to him on a podcast, they'd go, oh my God, he hates Donald Trump and thinks he's a clown. Now they're conflicted, but they don't know that when they're watching that, that, uh, that monologue. So I get it. I, I, I get it. I see it. And listen, if I'm wrong in November of 2020, and these strategies actually worked, I will be at the very front of the line saying I was wrong. But as it stands right now, I think all it's done is alienated people. You have a lot of people. I remember watching a Bill Maher, and this was a long time, it might have been 10 years ago, where, and I don't know who it was that was getting the support of racists. And he said, I understand what the person saying is, but you need to say, listen, I, I, I appreciate everyone's support. However, I do not want the support of racists. Um, not interested. So it's, it's amusing to me if I have a, a perspective that would fall under the umbrella of being perceived as conservative. And if it is, it is. I'm, I'm not saying it because it's conservative. It happens to be what I think. And then that aligns me with people who would be the ones who would espouse racism. I'm not interested in their support. I'm not. And if my perspective happens to fall under the umbrella of that, which would be considered liberal, and it would be those people who like try to take people out because they have a viewpoint uh, that they find to be offensive and then therefore they're, you know, organizing boycotts to try and get people's businesses shut down or that person shut down, whatever the case might be. I'm not interested in their support either. I actually enjoy the fact that I alienate, even though I'm not trying to, people on both sides. It's not my goal, but I guess it means that I am calling a ball a ball and a strike a strike, which is important because there's no way that one's view, I don't think anyway, that one's viewpoint can align 100% with any particular political party. That's just not realistic. I mean, for as much as people like to say, well, what do you think about Doug and his politics? Or you shouldn't let Doug, as if I'm like the boss, Doug and his politics. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, the one thing I will say about it is it's not like Doug has every single Republican talking point. He disagrees with some of it. And I respect that. And he's passionate about it. And even though I disagree with a lot of it, I appreciate it. And I don't think it's my responsibility to start telling him he's right and he's wrong. If I want to debate him, I can debate him. Um, and, and, and that's, that's my, been my approach on this. But I, I personally, when it comes to these kinds of topics, believe that the podcast is a better format for me because I can give more context. Inevitably, it's going to turn into a disagreement and then it's people taking sides and Doug's right or Tim's right. And it's not, that's not what it's about. I would rather explain myself. And if people agree with it, they agree with it, they disagree with it, they disagree with it. But then you have a better idea of where I am as opposed to inevitably somebody's going to interrupt uh, and you can't get your, and then, then it misdirects the conversation. It's just not really a good conversation. People aren't listening. So, uh, that's my, that's my reason for it. But I thought it was a great email. I, um, I did not get through all the emails. No surprise there. If you set the over under at three and a half, I think we covered the over barely, or we just barely didn't cover it. I don't know. But anyway, keep sending in emails. Uh, I always enjoy them. Fire away anytime. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to all of our sponsors for making the podcast possible. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.